Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, it's Tuesday, and we got one great show for you today. But I say that every day. But every show is pretty good, John. <laughs> so you're, you, that's that's accurate not, advertising. Not, not just Our ratings good. for this not show pretty good. are almost as good as Sid's. Oh wow! wow. Don't wow. tell Sid, and he's Don't in the morning, Sid. and he's in the uh, morning. Christian. You know, but uh, I I thought we I thought we like beat every single one of them. Don't you think? Uh, no, Greg? I think Tuesday night stations. is the best. We beat the other talk stations three to one. That's amazing. Well, you know what? I by the way, we have so many great folks here on the show, and so many great in studio, and the best guests. And and boy, is it a wild time in the news business. Well, this is uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. It sure is. Sometimes they call him Iceberg. Yes, yes, we do lettuce. <laughs> I told my wife that last night. She was very impressed by that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Craig Eaton, uh, 10 years GOP chairman of Brooklyn. And, well, what a mess we got uh, out there. Uh, what what happened in state courts today? Uh, which judge uh, turns? Well, you know, you know what, John, I think that the – it's it's fair to say that the courts and the and the Democrats are not going to be happy until there's a total annihilation of the Republican Party. Well, I mean, look, I mean, look at they're, that decision. They're Democrats, and uh, no, I can't talk like that. I'm but sorry. We, we need a two party system. Yeah, we you do need a two party system, but that's their duty is to destroy you. Yeah, I, know, I mean, but, well, but, but, but what but I'm saying is. So, look, let's tell the people what yeah, explain happened Explain what it is. Okay. So they don't know what we're talking about. Okay. Explain what it is and okay. also why it matters to everybody. Weinberg. Iceberg. Iceberg. Okay. <laughs> Rosenberg. Okay. No, it's iceberg. Oh, Anyberg. Well, Anyberg. Weinberg. Okay. Thank you very much. That's how my, my wife endures what their name is. Okay. The the Court of Appeals had a case. There was a challenge to the redistricting. Simpler. Uh, after they did the redistricting. There was redistricting and, congressional and, lines. And the Republicans won 11 seats in New York State, 11 congressional seats in New York State. Which they, which changed the dynamics forced, in the House. Let's go simple, guys. They forced the judge to, to, to retire that voted to do those districts. That's right. Which, so, which judge was it? That was, Jan, it was Janet. Janet what? DeFiori. Chief DeFiori. Judge. Janet DeFiori. Chief Judge was forced out because she did the right thing. The right did thing. the right thing. Exactly. Now, 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 let's go. And then they were afraid. Then uh, Judge Lasalle proposed. Was, was Judge Lasalle was nominated, uh, and the uh, st- the Democrats in the state Senate and the Democrats in the state Assembly were afraid that he will follow the law. Right, right. Yes, and he was a great judge. Judge Lasalle was, was a great, great judge. judge. And yes, and he's going to follow the law. And for the first time in history, they rejected a governor's nomination for chief judgeship. Okay, so everybody wow. understand that yeah. so far. They rejected wow. Judge Lasalle, who because they were afraid he was going to follow the law. They wanted somebody that's going to follow politics, yes. and what so happened? they appointed a chief judge. That's going to follow politics. That's and, called the fixes in. And, and, <laughs> I mean, I think this is a job for the U.S. attorney. If the U.S. attorney wants to do a real good job. But the problem is the U.S. attorney as well, John. That's the problem. Look what's happening in Washington. 
Yeah, well, Nothing's happening in Washington. And wait, 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 you guys. First, let's explain to everybody why, why it matters. Okay. Exactly. Because guess what? When that happened, John, with the 11 seats, that's how the GOP essentially got won the majority. House. Yes, got the majority to do investigations, to do a whole bunch, otherwise, have checks and balances. Otherwise, you would I never know. You have an investigation. Yeah, right. exactly. exactly. Otherwise, you'd never know the true story behind a Biden influence peddling scandal. And that's why this is important, too, because now with this these will lines shut it down. redrawn, if right. the Democrats won't control the House, there will be no this, investigations. They will put this all under the rug to protect the Biden all influence. All investigations come to close. Right. Yeah. So everybody listening out there, that's why it's important to have checks and balances. And also, it has to be fair look, for everybody, John. The rule, look, I believe in the rule of law. Yeah. You can't tinker equal, just because you equal want, justice. you know. I remember I grew up where the Constitution said equal justice for all. I'm sure it still says that. Yeah, and and it should be applied, John. I agree with this you, and that's a, why this, this is, is fishy. A, this is a disgraceful decision. It violates the state constitution, makes it very clear that after the lines were drawn, it should be for the full 10-year term under the, the redistricting when they did the census, and they repudiated that. They walked away from that. They're sending it back to the commission. The problem with this commission is when there's a deadlock, now, and I have a theory. It goes back into the state legislature it's, with the Democrats control. And everybody mm-hmm. tells me, everybody tells me well, you're not allowed, once it goes to the, uh, what, uh, Court, Court of Appeals in New York State, you're not allowed to go anyplace no, else. No, no, it can't go higher in the state system. Federal. It can go to a you, federal court. But are, you have to come up with a federal question to go into well, federal court. Well, the federal court. question is, since this is going to affect congressional races which are federal and could, could, uh, the future of the country. The future, the future of the this country. country. Then it should be able to go to federal court. To it's me, it a, sounds like it. It's not a federal it. question. That's not really not the focus of what a federal question is. So is there is there a jurisdiction to get it up to the, the federal court? court? The Court of Appeals is the highest is the highest court in New York State. And you can't appeal up to the Supreme Court unless it involves a federal question. So is there one? Is there no, one? I, I, well, that's what, I, what the, we were what, talking about, the, the judge yeah. and I. We don't seem to see well, that there well, is one. Ed Cox and John Fass, who led the charge in the first round, they're looking at with the lawyers to see if yep. they can go into yeah, federal they, court with a federal question. Did they right. violate the, uh, the Constitution of uh, New York State? Oh, I, I think they did. I think there's no doubt because the Constitution of New York State is very, very plain that – when you draw the lines, it's for the ten-year cycle. It was over. The lines were already drawn, and it was for ten years. Right. So they they, they didn't. The Democrats didn't like it, so they're forcing the lines to be redrawn. Right. Yes. It's all about power. Politics. Listen to me. I don't like my marks at. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I had better marks, maybe I would have graduated NYU. <laughs> just, just imagine if you were a college graduate. If just I was a college imagine. graduate, I might be successful. But, right. but it know. does seem to me, to John's point, listening at it, you know, that it, it does seem like it is a violation that would be you needing to, an outside body like a federal government to go in. Well, we've got somebody smarter than us on the uh, on the. On the phone. Yeah, we do. We have Professor Alan Dershowitz, and of course, his new book is The Case Against Jews. Um, the War Against Jews is his brand new book that just came out. And Professor Dershowitz, I have a lot on the Harvard case, uh, but first, just answer this. Does it seem like there's a federal uh, a federal issue here where the federal court would take up this redistricting if the, if the like uh, balance of Congress is in question? That's a big issue. Maybe he doesn't know about it. No, I know about it. Since the time I was a law clerk on the Supreme Court in 1963, the Supreme Court has taken lots and lots 
of these cases. The first one they took was in 63 when I was there. The first of the reapportionment gerrymander cases. They now take them selectively. And uh, anytime there is a potential racial issue or ethnic issue or religious issue, they tend to take the case. If it's just a political issue, what they say is not political thicket. You know, Eldridge Jerry invented gerrymandering. It was part of the American system. Let it be. But in this case, and, and again, I'm listening to it. It it seems like they went judge shopping. Um, I'm also just hearing that there was so they they wouldn't let LaSalle in. Then I'm hearing that they got the one moderate judge. They basically got that judge to recuse, um, you know, from the position. So it seems like there was a, like uh, some fishy stuff there. Is that enough, Professor Dershowitz? No, that's not. That's right. not the kind of thing. That's retail. Right. The court likes to deal in wholesale. Um, you know, uh, John sells retail. Uh, and you know, he's, he's, he's great. I love going into his retail store, but you pick one item at a time. The Supreme court doesn't like that. It likes to have wholesale cases, which affect the entire country. Professor, this is Craig Eaton. The one problem I see is that six months from now, we're going to have primaries for these congressional races. Yeah. yeah. So, so how are we going to, you know, it's going to be the same situation we had with the state Senate and the state assembly a few years ago where you're going to be running in a district where you're not going to know where your district lines are and where you live. It's going to be, Total chaos and confusion again. It is going to be total chaos, and the Supreme Court's going to say that's a matter for the state to fix. Yeah. Wow. Let me move on to Harvard with you. Harvard. I want to know about Harvard. Oh, my God. Can you believe this? Professor Dershowitz, the board of Harvard unanimously decided to keep the president after that abysmal testimony last week. Well, it wasn't only her testimony. It was her history as dean of the college where she was in charge of kind of what they call safism. Let's make the minds of students safe from difficult questions. She would be in charge, basically, of, uh, you know, for example, a Harvard student got admitted. Then they found that years ago, when he was 15 years old in a high school chat room, he said something nasty about a group of people. They rescinded his, his acceptance. When the president of Harvard, the former president, uh, Larry Summers, said something controversial about women in mathematics. They fired him. But suddenly, the First Amendment applies at Harvard only to protect hate speech against Jews. Uh, President Gay discovered the First Amendment on October 7th. She never knew it existed before that. And she uses it only to protect people, vicious people who have attacked Jews. That's why she should have been fired. But the same group that hired her was asked to fire her. That means they would have to admit their own mistake. What would happen at Penn? Penn... Not only did the president get dismissed, but the chairman of the board got dismissed. So I think in order to get the president of Harvard dismissed, you're going to have to go after the board. You're going to have to go after the people who put it there in the first place. Well, and all the faculty let me, let me came out. Question. It was like 800 faculty if, members. If I gave $100 million to Harvard 10, 15 years ago, and, and I gave it to the Harvard that I went to school in and in the Harvard, yeah. what yeah. Harvard believed in, the statement and, of principles. And, and the statement of principles has changed. Do I have the right to say, you're trying to be a different Harvard. I want to claw back the, the $100 million I gave to you. Is there I a think case it's a like case. that? Yeah, especially if the money is continuously used. For example, if you give $100 million and it's spread out over a 20-year period or something like that, definitely you could get, I think, the money back that hasn't been spent. The clawback. You know, again, that would be a matter of Massachusetts law. 
But uh, a lot of Harvard donors are furious, just furious, because what the 800 faculty members said, the 800 who pandered, because they knew the president was going to lose a job and they didn't want to attack their boss. So what the 800 said is, don't listen to alumni. Well, all right, don't listen to alumni. How about listening to professors, to people like me or Steve Pinker, Harvey Silverglade, others who have come out with strong arguments against gay or Bill Ackerman, don't listen to him because he gives millions of dollars. Listen to him because he has good ideas. But this elitist board uh, headed by Pritzker um, doesn't want to hear from anybody. They are the, the platonic guardians of Harvard. Don't tell them what to do. Don't put pressure on them. And the faculty supports them. The faculty would never support them if the shoe were on the other foot. If, for example, alumni were pressuring Harvard to admit more blacks or to have more DEA uh, these same 700 people would say, oh, please, you got to listen to the alumni. It's not about structural issues at Harvard. It's about who wins and who uses. And what's the problem with Harvard is that they've divided everybody in Harvard along racial lines, ethnic lines, political lines. Nobody is judged anymore as an individual. What group do you belong to? If you're a Republican, you have no teachers at Harvard. Three percent, three percent of Harvard faculty regard themselves as as conservative, you know, when they say you need more black professors because people have to have somebody to identify with. How about kids who come from the Midwest who are conservative and who can't find a single professor in their department who represents a conservative point of view? And that's supposed to be diversity because there are there are, there are people of different skin colors. That's not diversity. Diversity in a university is of opinion. So what does this say about higher education now with this decision from Harvard today? It's a terrible reflection on higher education, because even if Gay were fired along with um, the professor, the, the president of Penn, it wouldn't get to the real issue. The real issue is dividing campuses along racial and ethnic lines. You know, they, there are now schools that have separate graduations for blacks, separate dormitories for blacks, separate eating facilities. You know, I was part of the civil rights movement. I went down south in the 60s to campaign for equality, not equity. And he diversity, equity, inclusion. King wanted. Hmm? The ve- Alan, Richard Weinberg, this whole phenomenon of diversity, equity, inclusion, it's all mind yeah. games. It's all nonsense. Well, it's worse than that because inclusion, according to the rules of the university, excludes Jews and Asians. Excludes them. And diversity excludes. You can be the darkest skinned Jew in the history. And you're not included in diversity because you have a J next to your name. You're Jewish. You know, it reminds me of the Russian passports, which had Jeep on it. You know, you're a Jew. You were identified as such. That's what's going on. Well, in Saudi University Arabia does the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, at Columbia, um, I think it was Columbia. Well, I'm not sure, but I think it was Columbia. A professor called on somebody who spoke with a slight accent. And he said, are you Jewish? Are you Israeli? And the guy said, yes. He said, well, you can't speak in my class unless you're willing to admit that your country committed war crimes. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Can that imagine, it's shocking. Imagine a professor talking like that to a student, treating people differently because of where they come from. New York law prohibits it. Federal law prohibits it. And yet it's permitted by Harvard rules. What she should have said when she was asked the question, she should have said, by the standards that govern Harvard and have governed it for years now, of course, calling for genocide against the Jews is against the rules of Harvard, because even saying something moderately nasty about blacks or gays or transgenders is against the rule of of Harvard. So a fortiori, if you're calling for genocide, of course, but she wouldn't admit. Yep, I agree. Were these violations of free speech? She said, no, 
we are committed to complete uh, expression, freedom of expression. Well, I wish Professor, that was true, but it isn't. absolutely, Professor Dershowitz. Thank you so much again. The book is "The War Against the Jews." We always love having you on, and it what a sad day on. for higher mm-hmm. education. Wow. Yes, thank you. Happy thank Hanukkah, you. everybody. And Merry Happy Christmas. Hanukkah. Thank you. Tomorrow night we're lighting the menorah, uh, Professor. Yeah, the big one, the the biggest one, right? That's going to be great. All right, now we have Bill Bratton. He says. Crime is going to get even worse if the city council passes this uh, new rule. Yeah, the, it's this new bill that is going to bog the NYPD down to report these low-level police encounters as if it's not tough enough to be a cop. Well, joining us now is the former NYPD commissioner, Bill Bratton. Commissioner, uh, this this is like, how much tougher is it going to be for cops if this goes through? And it looks like it's going to go through really soon. For, for your audience, let me quickly explain what we're talking about. It's uh, the City Council uh, Bill 586A, which is scheduled for a vote on, I think it's the 20th of this month. Uh, what this bill is intended to do is increase the accountability of the NYPD for all of the stops that they perform during the course of a year, uh, including uh, the 7 to 10 million 911 calls they respond to. Uh, background on stops. In 1976, there was a state Supreme Court decision called, uh, the court case was DeBoer. And DeBoer outlined four levels of stops that police would engage in and what they could ask at those four stops, level one, level two, level three, level four. Level one is a request for information. Officers responding to the scene of an accident. So officers looking for a lost child. Uh, have you seen anybody? Uh, did you witness this? Level two is common law right of inquiry, that the police under the common law are able to basically stop and ask you questions uh, if they suspect you that of a crime. Uh, you don't have to stay with the police on a level one or level two. You can walk away. Level three is something we're all very familiar with here in New York, and that's stop, question, and frisk, the Terry stop. Police officer has reasonable suspicion that you have are about to uh, or will commit a crime or committing a crime can effectively stop, question, and frisk you under certain circumstances. The fourth level is arrest or summons. They stop you, they arrest you for an offense or issue a summons for an offense. What the city council is proposing is for level one stops, basically where cops are just looking for information, that they want the police to effectively do four things. They want them to ask these questions. Each report, and these would be written reports, would have to be submitted by the officer, ask, what is your race? What is your ethnicity? What is your gender? What is your age? Asking, you imagine asking, asking the average New Yorker that you're, you're asking him to provide information, he's a witness to a crime or to an accident, or you're looking for information on a lost child. Of what use is that information that the city council is now going to require in almost 7 to 10 million events that the NYPD handles annually. It sets them up for discrimination. We have a police force that's shot by about 3,000 officers, going to lose even more, where the money's not there to hire the next five police classes, evidently. Response time in this city is up dramatically. Response time in 2023 is up three minutes from 2022. Wow. That's a 23, 23% increase in response time. Why is response time slowing down so dramatically? There are not enough cops. And now the city council, for whatever reason, and these reasons have everything to do with race and ethnicity. It's the idea they want to hold the department accountable to make sure that they're not stopping more minorities, even on level one stops. 
It's insanity. And we don't have enough cops as it is. And the estimated amount of time is several minutes to fill out every one of these reports, millions of these reports. You're going to have to train the cops to do it in the first place. It's, it's insanity at a time and, and, when we're what? facing a budget crisis. It's also insulting, uh, Commissioner, because I feel like the cops, uh, as you know, they are so busy, and then they're going to throw this at them for uh, a, quote, quota reason or whatever? You're hitting it on the head, the nail on the head here. The idea is that the city council, which is largely minority, the NYPD is 59% minority, about 25% female, well over a thousand Muslim officers. This city council and uh, the far left portion of it does not trust the police department, although that police department looks like the city of New York. Over 50 some odd percent of them live in the city of New York. This is an insult to every New York City cop that we don't trust you to basically behave properly in the field. So we're going to hold you even more accountable. We're going to put hand, even more yeah, handcuffs more handcuffs, on you. Yeah. Commissioner, this is Craig Eaton. Discourage, discourage you from interacting with the public. This is Craig Eaton, Commissioner. You know, I, I, if it wasn't for stop, question, and frisk, we wouldn't have had the safe New York City that we did for all those decades. And that's a testament to you and Commissioner Kelly, how hard you worked. But you know what? This is just setting all of these cops up for lawsuits for discrimination. Yeah, what the, what's going to, the average cop going to do when you can't blame them? They're going to basically step back from yeah. encounters. Yes, and what right. is neighborhood policing all about? Increasing encounters with the public, yeah. to work with the public, to get information, to work together, to reduce crime and disorder. What this bill will destroy even more, because what this, the relationship, because what the city council is saying to their constituents, we don't trust the New York City Police Department, even though they look like you, even though they might be a next-door neighbor, because they wear a blue uniform and they wear a badge. They are not to be trusted. Well, to hell with that city council in the sense of if that's the way they want the city to run. You are well, right. They're, you are they're, right. they're trying to kill our city and people. and People have to finally realize it. Uh, well, Commissioner Bratton keeps speaking out for the truth, and uh, we work together to get the truth out. Thank you, John. Thank All you. the best to you. Thank let, you, let, Commissioner. Let's take that break, and when we come back, Charlie Gasparino's got some good uh, stuff for us. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And uh, we are with us today is Charlie Gasparino, the uh, number one guy at, uh, at uh, Fox, Business. Fox Business. Yes. And what is Larry going to say when I say that? Well, yeah, they can share the number one post, All right? right? Okay. Yeah. We like them both. Well, Charlie, what the heck is going on? Well, we should point out Larry's the number one anchor. All right. Oh, there you go. Very you good, Charlie. I'm the, I'm the number one reporter. All right. Oh, very nice. I want to be peace, se- peace se- in our time. Separation of church and state. No, I want to be both of their agents. That's a good game. Although Neil Cavuto and Liz Clay and my good friends would have a, would argue with that. I think they would. I know them both well, too. I think they yeah, would, I'm Charlie. Not, well, I'm, not moder- <laughs> I'm not getting in the middle of this thing. But anyway, All right. Now, you were, we talked the other day. You were mad as heck that some of these women's groups are not coming out to speak out of what Hamas has done to the women in Israel. Yeah, well, I mean, here's what... So I have a lot of sources that work on Wall Street. A lot of them are women, and they're, you know, everyone, you know, they're either in the C-suite, near the C-suite, you know, they run private equity uh, portfolio companies for private equity firms. And all of them, some of them are Jewish, some of them aren't. But a lot of them, you would say, are feminists. 
a lot of them vote Democratic, or at least lean that way. They may not vote all the time Democratic, but they they lean more left. They believe the Democratic Party has traditionally helped women break through the glass ceiling. Uh, they're for you know they're they're for uh, uh, abortion rights, things of that nature. However, what they told what, what's interesting is the complaints I'm getting from them um, about the relative silence among many people in the Democratic Party and many feminists on what went down on October 7th. Now, we should point out that what went down, you know, you can have a lot of views on this war and, you know, Israel, whether, you know, I I think it's absurd to call Israel an occupying army. It's so stupid. But, uh, you know, there's, 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 you know, I, I guess there is some room for disagreement on, you know, the sort of uh, the, the causal nature of some of the stuff that goes on over there, which you can't really argue in any form, if you're a normal human being, is what happened, that anything that happened to the women and, and men, but, you know, the, the rape and murder of women and the use of rape as a way to, um, as a military tactic by Hamas. It's so disgusting. It's so over the top. Yet, what they told me, where's Gloria Steinem? Barely a peep. Where's uh, Michelle Obama? Barely a peep. And they said, this is a good story. You should find, you know, you should do something on this, raise this issue, which is what I did on air and in my New York Post column. Um, because these financial, these women in the financial industry are saying, these are, you know, Michelle, Gloria Steinem, these are our guideposts. These are the people we respect. Now we don't respect them anymore. By the way, Charlie, what about the first lady of the United States? We haven't heard anything from uh, as a, a woman. Peep, it's a it's from offensive. Her. Yeah, well, her. I mean they are that, silent. That too. I mean, I wouldn't put her in the sort of pantheon of uh, Jill Biden as a, a feminist, but yeah, I mean you can make that case as well. Um, but this is what they're saying, and you know, so I did a little research and spoke to some people, and you know, the obvious there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party is very divided over what Israel is doing right now. Um, you know, uh, especially younger voters and, you know, the, the, the idiots you see protesting at Harvard and University of Pennsylvania, you know, that's, you know, they're, 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 they have a growing constituency in the Democratic Party. They're also a very loud voice on social media and, and different places. That's one. The other thing is, is just, you know, if you understand the ideology of the left, the wokeness, the progressive ideology, you also understand how we get to Israel deserving what happened on October 7th, in their view, in their warped, disgusting view. And it's all about this ideology, which it's so stupid, but here's what they think. Israel is a colonializer. Israel is largely white. Israel is, is, is somehow oppressing the Palestinians. Uh, you know, I can go on and on. Uh, it is, you know, it is basically, you know, Israel was funded by white people to colonialize, you know, Arabs. And it is so stupid because it, it's it's historically inaccurate. I mean, let's be real clear here. Jews have been living in the Holy Land forever. There is always notion of a two-state solution that the Arab powers, beginning with the creation of Israel, rejected. Palestinians have home rule in Gaza and on the left, the West Bank. Uh, this is, you know, the Palestinians put Hamas in power. Uh, 
Um, Absolutely. And by the way, that's why that's why I just not to not to interrupt you, Charlie, but that's why we've seen uh, these offerings of, hey, why don't you have the Palestinian Authority take over? Uh, That doesn't work. Not to re not to rehash history, though, Charlie. Um, But. To your point, these protesters are sort of professional protesters. They're the Occupy Wall no, Street. No They're continuing. Some of them are being paid. No, and, and we need to find out who's they paying. Are. They're, they're disgusting. It's so disgusting, and it's so absurd. You really can't get your hands around it until you see them in action. And, and you know, why, are the, why are we not going after the money, to John's point? Why is there not more attention from, you know, Congress and other people? Who is funding these people? Because some of them have these pre-made signs. It's very organized. A lot, yeah, of I mean, foreign money, actually, a lot of foreign money. A lot of foreign money. There should be. I mean, listen. That's something that I should do, right? As a journalist, who's yes. into this stuff, which I, which is what I will do, um, and uh, and what I am doing. Uh, I mean, that's. It begins with journalism. I mean, listen. Let's be real clear. Most journalists may side with them. For all I know, most mainstream journalists. I'm not saying most mainstream journalists are for rape. I'm not saying that, but they are sympathetic to that leftist cause. That these, uh, these no, but this is um, beyond leftists and rightists. You could be, listen, I could be a liberal, I could be a conservative. It has nothing to do with, with, uh, John, with chopping John, John, off women's John, breasts. I agree. John, and by, and by the way, John, there John, have been Democrats that have been good. I mean, you look at Hochul. Yeah, there's been Democrats. Hillary put. Yeah, she's been great on this. Chuck, Chuck Schumer gave a great speech on this. But, but let's be real clear here. This is not beyond left and right. I mean, this is the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is kind of like the tail wagging the dog here. Um, to lead. Yes. Go down the, it's the go 20% down, percent, down the line. The they 20% right. wagging the, uh, the entire Democratic Party. They are very, they are very powerful. Uh, a- AOC, you know, why anybody listens to this idiot is beyond me, but they do. And um, they are the tail wagging the dog here. They're very powerful within that party. And, you know, sleepy Joe Biden is afraid to buck him. I mean, it's yep. just that's just the way it is. Yeah, and he is a wimp with him. Charlie, I mean, we're going to continue this, this discussion even more. Thank you for coming on. And we'll talk again soon. And I hope yeah. your mother-in-law as well. And she's getting better. Thank okay. you. Great. The, the top you. reporter there on Fox Business. <laughs> All right. Let's say. Uh, Number one report. Number one. That's right. All right. Let's take that break. And who do we come back with? We have Ambassador John Bolton with some big news on Israel, big Ukraine, news, and more. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Big developments today with Ukraine's President Zelensky at the White House. And also word that Biden is trying to push out the Israeli government of Netanyahu. How dare he say to another country, especially our ally in the middle of war, saying we need change to change. change. change That's shame. Right. It's like what Obama was doing years ago. No, is that similar to what the what uh, President Biden or what time just Joe Biden or Vice President Biden said to uh Ukraine. Oh, son of a bee. That was the son of a bee. Must you fire the prosecutor? Yeah, Yeah. wow, that sounds interesting. Good point, John. Yeah, exactly. Well, joining us now is the former UN ambassador John Bolton. Ambassador Bolton, uh, first, this 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 preposterous notion that Biden is trying to get rid of Netanyahu, saying there needs to be a change of government at a time where they're like fighting Hamas. Well, it's it's ridiculous, but it's also, I think, evidence of the problem that that uh, Israel is facing and, and that really the United States is facing since Israel is 
uh, on behalf of civilization in the process of destroying Hamas. At one level, publicly, rhetorically, Biden supports Israel. But behind the scenes, for the past two months, he's been urging them not to take steps that could expedite this and really minimize casualties on all sides. I think he's uh, he's really uh, objectively done a lot of things that are pro-Hamas. He's, he's done other things that were right, I think, sending the two carrier battle groups. But, but the idea that now he's not only going to second-guess the current Israeli government's military strategy, now he's going to second-guess the government of Israel altogether. I, I, think, I think we're coming to a very dangerous point in the relationship that will be dangerous for Israel in trying to eliminate Hamas. Uh, and therefore dangerous for the United States. And, you know, he also said, um, Ambassador, that support for Israel is waning, too. I mean, that has come out. He said it apparently at two different events, telling donors Israel is losing support around the world, and that's been leaking out. What message does that send to Hamas as they're trying to eradicate them? Well, exactly. It sends a message of, of weakness and, and uh, on Biden's part, concern for the split within the Democratic Party, which is turning <laughs> more and more anti-Israel and more pro-Palestinian. That's what he's really worried about, because it jeopardizes his already uh, chancy prospects for re-election. And Ambassador uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, good to talk to you again, sir. I'm very concerned about the fact that we've had about 100 attacks against U.S. forces in the Middle East, and we really have not responded What's going to happen when some of our guys really get killed or they hit they hit one of our naval ships or they wipe out a, a merchant marine ship? What are we going to do then? Yeah, well, very good question, because what we're showing to the Iranians and really the whole world is weakness. And uh, uh, there was one uh, unnamed military official uh, quoted in uh, one of the papers this morning who said uh, quite accurately, I think, the only reason we haven't had a major casualty event of American soldiers is we've been lucky. So this unwillingness to go after the the Shia militia in Iraq, the Houthi rebels in Yemen who are firing missiles and drones at the, at our people and at, at the naval ships and commercial vessels, as you say, uh, demonstrates, I think, to Iran that they can get away with it. And there have been no strikes on Iran. So from Tehran's point of view, they're doing all this for free. And I think it means they're going to increase uh, the attacks on Americans and, and increase the pressure on commerce in the Red Sea. You know, that's where ships going to and from the Suez Canal have to pass through that. They sail right by Houthi territory. Ten percent of the world's commerce goes through the Suez Canal and therefore through the Red Sea. Uh, th- this is really a choke point where Iran, via the Houthis, could apply a lot of pressure and, and uh, on Israel and the United States. Uh, Ambassador, some of the lead leadership in our uh, armed forces, are they getting frustrated? What do you hear behind the scenes? Well, I think they are getting frustrated, and, and uh, it, it cuts for them right to the chase because their fellow service members in, in Iraq or on naval ships in the Red Sea or the Eastern Mediterranean or the Arabian Gulf uh, are, are at risk from these terrorist attacks. And, uh, you know, the, the, the terrorists themselves, and particularly the Iranian leadership, only understands force and response. And when they see weakness, when they hear things like Biden saying Israel is losing support around the world, it encourages them. And that's exactly the wrong thing to have happen. Ambassador, one more thing. Venezuela, there's conflicts going on there and the American people may hear it, but they don't know what the heck is going on there. Can you explain it to them? Well, I think it's very serious. I'll actually have an article in the Daily Telegraph in London tomorrow explaining this. I, I think the Maduro regime is running out of money and they're scared to death that if 
uh, Exxon and Chevron and other international oil firms can drill right next door in Guyana for what is pretty sweet, light crude, not the heavy Venezuelan stuff. Nobody's going to pay any attention to Venezuela, and his already low oil revenues will drop to zero. So I take his threats and his claims, his territorial claims, uh, seriously, because I think he's in a desperate position. And I think in that kind of shape, he may well try and seize at least part of of Guyana. So this is going to get serious. I think the Russians and the Chinese could have the dispositive role here. If they think they can get away with it while the U.S. is preoccupied elsewhere, I think they'll try and do it. So that's three wars. That's Ukraine, that's Israel, in Venezuela, I mean, where else? Where else is the next one? Taiwan. Well, I was, I was hoping. I was going to say. I hope you raise that question because if I were in the leadership in Beijing today, looking now just at Ukraine in the Middle East, I'd be saying the American bandwidth is already overloaded. What should we do uh, in the Indo-Pacific to take advantage of their uh, poor attention span? I, I don't know necessarily it would be an invasion of Taiwan. Maybe it would be something less than that. But if they think they can grab something, the offshore islands, the Pescadores Islands that uh, Taiwan uh, is sovereign over, I think they're going to do it. And they've set the precedent to use military force, and we probably won't respond. Well, thank you, Ambassador Bolton. Thank you for keeping your eyes open for America and telling the American people the truth and using WABC as uh, one of one of the vehicles. Well, it's my pleasure. Always glad to be with you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Now we have Frank Morano, and Frank Morano interviewed one of the characters in town. One of the characters? That's putting it mildly. All right. <laughs> one of the biggest characters. Yeah, that's did, he a cameo? Uh, did he do a cameo for Frank, too? <laughs> I might have. <laughs> I Frank can't afford Morano, that. You, you, you interviewed the other night uh, George, uh, Santos. George Santos, Congressman George Santos. It was his first radio interview well, since he cam- left, so it was a big man, scoop. Give, give, us, give, us, give us the lowdown in a few minutes or less. Yeah, this was surreal, John. Otherwise, Thank it takes two hours for Frank. <laughs> yeah, that's you why, know, we, that's why you time. give them what, four or five hours every night. It, right. Exactly. It takes me four hours just to say hello. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, if people didn't hear it, uh, they can listen to this. It was this morning. Uh, it was on. It's on WABCRadio.com, the podcast. This was wild. This is, as Rita mentioned, the first radio interview that George Santos did since being expelled from Congress. And, uh, you know, I knew George Santos a little bit when he was running for office, uh, not just the time that he won, but when he had run previously and lost. I didn't know what to expect. You know, somebody that's facing a federal criminal indictment and somebody that's just been expelled by his colleagues and sort of been lambasted by the national media, you'd feel maybe he's a little humble, being exposed as a liar, making movies, books, talking about all the lies that he's uh, that he's been exposed for. You'd think maybe he'd be a little apologetic and have a little humility. So what I can't tell, not at all any of that. (laughs) Apparently... All of his problems are uh, due to just about everybody else, including all of his colleagues. He went scorched earth on many of his Republican colleagues, several of his Democratic colleagues as well. Very interesting, though. The one thing that was a little bit different from when he left Congress, he said, I said, what's next for you? What do you want to do in the future? He said, look, I'm only 35 years old and I'm not done with He's public service. He qualifies to run said, for Senate. He said he's going to he said he's going to run for office again and will be back in Congress someday. Wait, wait, wait. uh, He thinks he's going to be back. 
too. He that's what he said. That's uh, people Delusional. can listen to the interview for themselves. And uh, he basically this was the first time that I've ever heard somebody that was under federal criminal indictment actually praise the Department of Justice for their professionalism, which told me that maybe they're on the precipice of some sort of sweetheart plea deal for him. And yeah, uh, they he just said wanted him he, out. I don't think he's going to go to jail. Uh, I think I tend to agree with you after listening to him praise the but DOJ I think the this Republicans, morning. Frank, I think the Republicans did wrong. Oh. They should have let him stay to the end of his term. He was voting with them anyway. Why did they want to spend $20 million in the month of February? And why give a chance well, to lose for- the seat? Yeah, and I feel the same way about him that I do Menendez, and it has nothing to do with a partisan advantage, but it creates such a poor precedent. Here are two people, Menendez and Santos, charged with serious crimes, especially Menendez, but they've been convicted of nothing. And this has now become the first person since the Civil War to be expelled, not by his constituents, but by other politicians, even though he's entitled to the presumption of innocence. So uh, I think it's a bad deal, not just for the Republicans, but for the taxpayers. We have to pay the bills for a whole new special election in February now. That's a lot of words, now, Frank. Frank you got we've got a mutual friend on the line. We have Dr. Sky with us. He has some breaking news. And please stay on with him because uh, that's uh, your friend, too. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to be with him tonight. Steve Cates, Dr. Sky. Well, you got to tease the show, too, you know? I mean, I want you to have higher ratings than uh, Dominic Carter because they're lower. Uh, Dr. Sky, tell us what the heck is going on. Well, good evening, John, Rita, Craig, Judge, and Frank Morano. What a nice surprise, Frank, as we talk about things going on here with the X-37B. What's that? Well, it's a military spacecraft, kind of a space plane the United States has been testing in orbit for about the last eight years. But excitement builds around the world, folks, as we're supposedly going to get a launch this time with one of the most powerful rockets in the world, SpaceX's Falcon Heavy. We've had two delays. The latest launch is now scheduled now. Keep our fingers crossed. Wednesday evening, 8.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Why is this particular spacecraft important? It's all about America's security. It's all about technology, and it does some amazing things. The last time it was up, it was up there in orbit for over 900 days doing surveillance and some kind of secret projects. And back a long time ago, I've been following this object in the sky regularly. You can see it. It changes its orbit. We kind of got in trouble down at the Kennedy Space Center years ago. We were doing a television show, and our film crew was told in the hangar not to shoot a picture of the thing inside that rocket. What do they do? They shoot a picture. The military wasn't too happy. But there you go. Mm. What a way to talk about our America's space program. So, Frank, your thoughts on what we just heard here, Frank Morato, being a, 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 a space expert. Well, no, I'm not a space expert. Uh, you're talking to the space expert. I'm a guy with a lot of questions about space, especially with everything that's going to be happening with the uh, forthcoming eclipse and everything. But in terms of this uh, this space aircraft, um, one of the things that we've seen, unfortunately, Steve, is so many of yes. these programs get plagued with uh, with delays, and they don't seem to be, for whatever reason, able to deliver uh, at the time that they're supposed to come out. I mean, are we thinking yes. this uh, this space aircraft is actually going to come out within some sort of a reasonable time frame? We do, and we have a lot of good things to say about it. It's testing some rather secret things, but how can I tell it if it's secret if I can tell you about it? If it's that and secret, I won't tell you. <laughs> Even if we tickle you? Guys, we're going to take a break. What are you guys going to okay. talk about at 1 o'clock in the morning? Well, I got some really interesting things. We're going to talk about more about the expansion of the universe. We're going to talk about this solar cycle, the big eclipse coming up. We're going to be talking about so many things. On what, Frank? 
As we move from the other side of midnight for twice a month, we go cosmic conversations. So I'm looking forward to it. The other side of midnight from cosmic 1 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock in the morning. And, and listeners, please tune in. We do yeah. not want Brian Morano's ratings to drop. That's right. I have a two. I have a I have a two-year-old to feed. We need people leaving the radio on. Right. Even if they, uh, they're, Carmine, they're Carmine. Hey, uh, thank you, God, thank you, everybody. Thank Talk you. To Tune us. in tonight. Thank you. Let's both. take a break. And uh, who are we coming back with? We here? have Greg Jarrett with some big news on Biden and Hunter. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on seventy-seven WABC. And big news happening on Capitol Hill and also big news with a special counsel who is trying to see if President Trump qualifies for immunity in the case. This is Jack Smith is saying, no, 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 he fast-tracked it and sent it up to the Supreme Court. And our next guest knows a lot about all of this stuff, is, of course, the great legal analyst on Fox News. His book is The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, another big bestseller. Um, Greg Jarrett, this is unbelievable. Does he have, what do you think is going to happen? Because clearly the objective of Jack Smith trying to fast track uh, this and circumvent all the appeals is he wants to try to get a conviction, some sort of conviction of Trump in an election year. It's pretty transparent. Yeah. And it obviously really smacks of election interference, which is what most Americans suspect, which is one of the main reasons why you know, Trump's support continues to rise. And, you know, I suspect the justices will also see that for what it is. Uh, They've asked Trump's lawyers to respond to this petition by uh, Jack Smith, who wants to essentially butt to the front of the line and skip the middle process of appellate review. Normally, the Supreme Court doesn't want to do that. Um, But, you know, this may be an exceptional case. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, Trump's argument that the case against him should be dismissed uh, because his actions were consistent with his sworn duties as president to uphold and enforce all laws. That's a valid argument because those laws also include uh, a president who ensures that elections are free and fair, unencumbered by fraud or faulty vote counting. Uh, and, you know, if he pursues it in that regard, he has immunity from prosecution. If he truly believed the outcome was illegitimate, and that's why he filed legal challenges and challenged the electoral count, um, he has a valid argument for governmental immunity. You know, on the flip side, you got Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden case. He's going to be arraigned this week uh, with these new charges. But y- you wrote a really powerful column about Hunter Biden and the media's role in all this, Greg Jarrett. Yeah, I mean, the media continues to do the bidding for the Bidens, uh, acting as their foot soldiers and apologists, uh, their common refrain is, oh, there's there's no evidence of Joe's involvement. You know, evidence are simply a collection of facts. And the facts here are pretty damning of Joe Biden, uh, that he actively aided and abetted the schemes uh, run by his son that netted tens of millions from foreign interests, uh, promising access and, and influence. You know, exploiting a public office to enrich your family or others 
is both a criminal offense and an impeachable one. And there's more than enough evidence for uh, Republicans in the House to move forward by approving an impeachment inquiry. Greg, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. The point is that even Obama's people, when Biden was vice president, warned Biden about this. So he can't say he didn't know. He obviously knew not only of his son's schemes, but I think he knew they were corrupt. Uh, You know, the records show that he was involved, not just tangentially, but directly, Judge. I mean, he attended meetings, met personally with his son's overseas partners, speaking by phone with Hunter's clients more than 20 times. Flew him across on on Air Force Two, coincidentally, for meetings. Well, and yeah. he also, and the thing is, too, guys, he also always said he never met the business partners. And That's a lie. There's pictures, pictures with him. It's, so indisput- right. it's indisputable right. that, he's, that he was involved in all of this. So he, it begs the question, yeah, but, why? But, but, but he lied. Look, everybody yeah. knows he lied. Yeah. But you can't impeach him based on a few lies. So where is this headed, Greg Jarrett? Uh, because the vote to do an impeachment inquiry could come as early as tomorrow. They're expecting it's going to happen this week. Yeah. And uh, this is the committee seeking legal authority to compel compliance with subpoenas. The judge would appreciate this. Without it, witnesses will continue to dodge testimony and defy demands to cough up documents. Um, That's what Biden allies have been doing. They've been obstructing and using excuses to sandbag the investigation. Uh, and, you know, the impeachment process involves essential legal elements. So if they get the vote, they can then go to court to enforce compliance with testimony and documents. That's exactly right. It's very important that they win this vote to get this authorization. Otherwise, this investigation be stymied, Greg. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, and it also uh, removes the glaring conflict of interest. So the committee doesn't have to then rely on Joe Biden's own Justice Department to enforce subpoenas against witnesses who are Biden allies. I mean, Merrick Garland will never enforce the subpoenas. So you basically got to leapfrog over the DOJ and allow the committee to go to court to a judge to enforce subpoenas. Last question, and we were at like thirty seconds. Uh, what do you? What do you? How? What do you do when the uh, uh, the Biden department, uh, the, uh, the executive department, doesn't obey the Supreme Court and doesn't obey uh, obey the Congress? I mean, with subpoenas, what do you do? Well, you, you know, uh, that is a vexing question, and we would have to see it played out. I mean, I don't think it would would come to that. I mean, I think if once the committee is armed with legal authority, uh, they can go to the courts and seek compliance. Um, I mean, that's how our legal process works, and it's, you know, I, I have confidence that it would work that way. Yeah, and they'll fight it tooth you. and nail. Thank you, Greg Jarrett. Except if your last name's Trump, they'll fast-track you to the Supreme thank, Court. Thank you, Greg Jarrett. Talk to you again real soon, and thank Thanks, you for Greg. the truth. And uh, what do we all stand for? Truth, truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. 
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 